You're listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. My name is Matthew, and as your host, my mission is to help you discover who God is and what it means to live as a citizen of His kingdom. Greetings, Finchwood. Sorry that this episode is coming to you a week late. This whole season, I've been asking listeners to send in topic suggestions based on their own experiences as new believers and the things that they misunderstood. And I've actually gotten a lot of good feedback there, so much so that I'm going to do two episodes about it. Today, I'm going to be talking about one specific point that I think deserves an episode of its own, while next week I'll do a few announcements and clarify a few points from previous episodes before officially wrapping up the season. So without further ado, this question is from my friend Parker, who says that one misconception a lot of people might hold is that, quote, you have to ask for forgiveness every time you sin, and if you don't, you are once again blemished, unquote. Now this is a great point, so before I say anything else, thank you Parker for submitting this comment. I remember struggling with this myself during my early years as a Christian, and I find myself wishing that someone had explained this in a better way to me early on. Really, this comment is part of a larger discussion about what sin is and how forgiveness works. Sometimes Christians can get caught up in the topic of sin and forgiveness in a weird way, so throughout the series I've been intentionally downplaying those themes to some degree. But I think this is as good a time as any to go there, so let's get into it. When we talk about sin, oftentimes we end up thinking it's like the a la carte menu at a restaurant, where each sin is a specific action and it has a specific cost in the economy of God. In this way of thinking, it's as if each of us has a bank account with God, and every sin we commit means that our account dips into the negative somehow and we then have to do something to bring our balance back up to zero, whether that means a prayer of forgiveness to cancel out each action, or maybe some kind of penance like planting a tree, or hitting yourself a specified number of times with a whip, or maybe donating some money to charity. As long as there's still some kind of sin on our accounts, we feel like we're no longer welcome in God's presence, or that he's going to withhold all kinds of blessing and provision from us until we set things right. We also might imagine that if one of us were to die while that account is still in the negative, we won't be able to go to heaven. Some people also believe that certain sins cost more or less depending on their degree of sinfulness, and basically what you end up with is a catalog of sins along with the cost you can pay to get away with each of them. Particularly in the late Middle Ages, there were people going around openly teaching exactly that kind of system. Fortunately, that's been done away with mostly due to the insight and persistence of a few theologians like Erasmus and certainly Martin Luther, but somehow the transactional mindset understanding sin this way has stuck around in the hearts and minds of Christians ever since. The problem is that we don't really see that model in Scripture. That's why I find it useful to speak of sin as a condition rather than sins in the plural. Saying sins makes it sound like each action is a unique instance that exists by itself, but biblically sin is more like a disease. We're not talking about disconnected islands of wrongdoing scattered in a sea of otherwise right living. No, instead we're talking about a systemic infection that's worked its way into the core of our humanity, and no amount of outward goodness or self-deprivation is going to fix that problem. 
The individual actions that we commit that are sinful aren't the real problem. They're just a symptom of the real disease, sin itself. And at the root of that disease is that we don't trust the goodness of God. And the end result that shows up in our actions is when we rebel against the righteous leadership and authority of God and we selfishly mistreat one another. Every so-called sin we commit falls under that umbrella in one way or another. God's law is never arbitrary. It exists only to prevent us from harming one another. When and if he says something is forbidden, it's not because he's a cosmic killjoy. It's because that thing is not good. Sometimes we don't see how one action leads to harm being done somewhere else, but that's where I have to trust in the fact that God is way smarter than we are. Just like how a toddler can be told, don't touch the hot stove, without understanding what third-degree burns are like. With sin, there's always a victim, even if that victim is myself. And on that note, it is worth mentioning that some sinful actions have more serious consequences than others in terms of harming ourselves or those around us. For instance, I'm willing to say that murder is more harmful to humanity than, say, stealing a dollar from someone. But the bottom line here is that both actions can and will damage and distort the inherent dignity of who we are as human beings, loved by God and made in His image. On top of that, God is a good king, and so like any other leader, He's obligated to deal with whatever or whoever is actively doing that harm. So our sinful actions and attitudes open us up to the possibility of punishment. Perhaps worst of all, they come between us and God in a relational sense. We get caught in a sort of feedback loop where we end up taking on shame and guilt that causes us to trust God less, which then causes our sin problem to get worse and over time we spiral deeper and deeper into sinful habits and addictions that do anything but give us life. Now we should do what we can to mitigate and treat the symptoms of our disease, but ultimately the best solution is to cure it, and that's where blood comes in. You see, the way God designed this whole system to work, the only way to cure the disease is with a transfusion of life from someone or something that's not infected. That means that there has to be a sacrifice, a death, which ultimately speaks to the gravity and severity of our condition because sin is never harmless. In the Old Testament, God set up a series of animal sacrifices, but there was no intention that those animals were supposed to fix the problem permanently. Instead, they were placeholders and reminders of the severity of sin. They were also acts of faith that could reconnect people with the hope that one day God would provide a real solution. That solution was and is Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the permanent cure for our disease. By being free from sin, by being perfectly righteous, when he died on the cross, He offered himself once and for all as that perfect sacrifice, and he also bore the punishment that we rightfully deserve for the damage that we've done to one another. He offers all of that freely to anyone who's willing to accept it. The only catch is that if we trust him for the cure, we have to trust him everywhere else. To look at that from another angle, if we want him to take away our unrighteousness, He gets to be the sole determiner of what righteousness is, and that includes any rights we might think we have to evaluate ourselves, for better or worse. Personally, I think that's a perfectly fair and understandable deal. 
when we accept this cure, when we allow Jesus to take that punishment in our place, he is able to wash away the shame and the guilt that had separated us from experiencing God's love, which, by the way, was always there, whether we could sense it or not. Letting Jesus forgive us also enables us to trust him again, which in turn allows us to live according to his perfect ways. Every Christian on earth is still in the process of learning how to do that, and none of us get it right 100% of the time, because we're still working on applying that cure to different parts of ourselves as we discover that they're still diseased. And that takes a lifetime to do. That's why even the most mature believers end up going back to the cross, back to forgiveness, time and again. Not so that God will forgive us or love us more or bless us, or even so that he can let us into heaven one day, but rather it's because we love God, and therefore we want to get it right. We come back to the cross to remind ourselves that we are forgiven, and because that's where we find strength to try again and again and again. The Bible says in Proverbs 24 verse 16 that a righteous person is defined as the one who gets back up no matter how many times they stumble. Over time, when we keep doing that, as we keep on trusting God by surrendering the broken parts of ourselves to Him, and by receiving fresh love and strength from Him, when we keep doing that, as we keep participating in that exchange with Him, sin gradually loses the iron grip that it used to have on our hearts, and over time we become more like Jesus. And that's the very definition of discipleship. Now, I know that's a long answer to a pretty short question, but I think it's helpful to have all of that in the background when I say that, no, you don't have to specifically list each sin you've committed when you ask for forgiveness. Because once again, sin isn't individual actions, it's a condition of your heart. And if you've trusted Jesus to forgive you, then you're already forgiven once and for all. With that being said, Sometimes, in order for our hearts to fully trust in God's love once again, we have to deal with the individual actions that we're feeling guilty about, and processing those with Him in prayer, one by one, can help to set us free from that sense of guilt and shame, thereby restoring our relationship with God back to wholeness. Basically, it's not that you're blemished in God's eyes, but you may be blemished in your own eyes, and you have to see yourself with God's eyes once again so that you can maintain your relationship with him. I hope that all makes sense. Now, once again, that's a great question, courtesy of Parker. I did receive a few more comments from listeners, but I'll either cover them next week, or some of them I'm going to save for the next season because they fit really well with what that's going to be about. By the way, that's something I'm going to tell you more about in the next episode. So I'll see you then, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast, conversations for people who want to be more like Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe now and consider sharing it with your friends. For more information about this episode's topic or to continue the discussion, please consult the show notes. See you next time.